welcome to the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host Tanya Falkner, and this is a recording of a recent panel discussion where we asked experts what it takes to be a successful CEO of an LSP. If you want to learn more about the skill set it takes, hiring good talent, delegating tasks and more, then stay tuned and enjoy the discussion. Today, we want to talk with experts to answer the question, what does it take to be a successful CEO of an LSP? So for our listeners, if you have any comments or questions during the panel, you can write them in the chat box that should be on the right-hand side of your screen, and we will address them as we go. Cool. So we're super excited to welcome the four successful CEOs here with us today. We've got Anneli Costadinova from Lingua World. We have Peter Argandizo, the CEO of Argo Translation. We have Tinashoya Pavlovsky from CPSL and David Vandenacker of uh, Lingui. And so let's give you a chance actually to introduce yourselves and just discuss a little bit what your responsibilities are at your companies. So we can start with Dave. I see Dave on the top left. So let's, let's start with Dave. Right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dave van der Acker, 43 years old and founder and CEO of Lingquake in the Netherlands. We're a fairly small LSP existence since 2013. So we'll be seven years old by August this year. Small LSP means uh, a total team of uh, six employees, full-time employees. And as a team, we run this company. Awesome. Thank you. Let's just continue with Peter. Great. My name is Peter Argandizo. I'm the founder or one of the founders at Argo Translation. We have a team of 15 people uh, located here in Chicago, Illinois, or just outside of Chicago and Glenview, so just north of the city. And this is our 26th year in business. And, you know, we're also a smaller LSP and focus on all sorts of different types of work. There's not necessarily a specific domain that we focus in, but we love technology. Um, We do a lot in terms of workflow optimization. I would say that would be one of our specialties. Thank you. So let's move on to, uh, let's go to Nelly. Yes. Hello. Yes, my name is Nelly, and my surname is Costa Dinova. How the name suggests, I was born in Eastern Europe, in Bulgaria. And I studied journalism, worked as a journalist, and uh, after the political change, I decided to come to Germany in 1990. But I could not speak any German, and I was a German, you understand? I had a small problem the language. And nonetheless, I was soon working here as a journalist, as a correspondent for the Bulgarian media. And two years later, I have learned German and had become an interpreter in the legal field. In 1997, I founded Lingua World as a classic translation company for all languages and rare dialects. But now, Lingua World is bigger. 2009, I began to expand. Firstly, I went to Netherlands. And after that, I went to South Africa, to UK, to also Austria. And today, Lingua World is present in 14 cities in Germany and also abroad. And I'm only one CEO of the German GmbH and the subsidiaries abroad. That's my small story. <laughs> Great to have you. Thanks, Nelly. And Tenesoya. Hello, everybody. My name is Tenesoya Pavlovsky. And despite of my name and my last name, I was born in Barcelona 52 years uh, ago. 
Um, I'm not the CEO of CPSL, uh, a language service uh, company founded by my grandmother. I think I am the, the oldest of 50, 57 years ago <laughs> uh, here in Barcelona. So we are a, a team of 55 people uh, distributed among uh, Barcelona, Madrid, uh, Ludwigsburg in Germany, and Boston. And now I'm running the, it's a family-owned company, not run, but owned. <laughs> great. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. It's great to have you all on here today. So before we get into the nitty gritty of things, and we talked about this now a little bit already, but we'd like to have a little bit more information about your companies as well, because, you know, as the CEO, role of the CEO depends a lot on like company details and the circumstances. Maybe you can share a little bit more. Some of you have already talked about how big your companies are, but also things like, are there any shareholders that you have to respond to? Or is there a management team? A lot of that obviously depends on the size of your companies. Can you share a little bit of that with us? And also, of course, what like your main responsibilities are in your roles? Right, I'll, I'll kick that off if you like. We, are, I think, are the, the smallest company. So for me, that means... My role is very much uh, an all-round role. I have to be able to do everything here. So everything from strategy development through marketing, sales, finance, and operations, which is what I try to do. There's still a lot of uh, entrepreneurial skills involved as well. And so we are still very much growing and developing our company, looking for uh, possibilities to uh, to grow both in the country and abroad. So uh, Nelly, maybe we should uh, have a talk after this. Very interested in your story. Well, and I guess in any company that grows beyond a certain size, you have to switch from doing everything yourself to sharing responsibility and finding people who can take over from you, who may even be better at certain tasks than you are yourself while still maintaining control. So that for me, that's one of the main challenges from day to day. I'm actually very interested in hearing how uh, you look at What do you mean with maintaining control? Maintaining control on the growth of the company or people on what it's done or? Well, I guess both. It can sometimes find it challenging to find the right people to give responsibility to. So I guess it's a matter of selecting the right people and then helping them get started and then letting go at some point while still looking at what they're doing. Huh? So you can appreciate what they're doing, but also help out if you see that things might not be going as well as you'd like. Great. Are we following the same order? Should I just jump in after Dave? Great. Robert, I think you're muted. Sorry. Yeah, Robert, we can't hear you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, I was saying that, uh, yeah, we can follow the same order. And then we can uh, circle back around and talk about task delegation and, and things like that, because that's, that's a big topic. Sounds great. So we do have a management team at Argo. I'm on that team. Our production manager, Kimberly Miller, and our co-founder, Jackie Lucarelli, are on the management team. You know, I'm with Dave. In the early days, you know, it was a matter of doing everything. Uh, I'm very fortunate now that our team is very independent. We have uh, four PMs, four project managers, the production manager, you know, a marketing lead, uh, sales uh, business development lead. But I wear a bunch of different hats. What's nice is that since my team is so independent, I can sort of work on the things where I can provide the most value. Some of my teammates might tell me that might be outside the front door, but I do help with this. Technical sales, I enjoy that. I work with that strategy as well as planning, a little bit of everything. I like to write, so I write for our blog posts, doing some videos. 
and just working on higher level strategy with a lot of client engagements, you know, the ones that are a little bit more complex, especially. But that's a little bit of a luxury that I've earned. I can very well empathize with Dave, you know, gosh, I mean, for a bit, it was just Jackie and I and an assistant. And, you know, we still managed ton, a ton of work and burst the blood vessels in both eyes in one week because of eye strain. So I wear that uh, that scar pretty well. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of how Argo set up. How long did that period of time last? Well, you know, we ran things really lean, I would say, for almost a decade. And I would say we ran it more of sort of like maybe someone who runs a bake shop, you know, an artisanal bake shop where it's okay, we're happy with the work that we have. We do really good work. You know, you only have so much bandwidth, but then we realized that that's not a great recipe for growth. You know, if you want to invest in technology and do different things, you have to have more volume. But again, you know, uh, we have a, I trust my team implicitly. And that's been, I would say, a recipe for success for us is that we've had had the ability to think strategically. Because if you're always in the day-to-day, that's tough to think strategically. You're just too busy kind of doing the day-to-day work. But yes, I too am envious of Nelly. I think we would like to grow like Nelly has as well. So Dave and I are both going to join on a call with Nelly after. I already saw Duolingo World has uh, 14 branches in Germany, and the head office is in Cologne. This time, 30 years ago, I came to Cologne, and um, I decided to set up my company also here in this city. It's a beautiful city and uh, very multicultural and uh, very open-minded. And in Cologne, in my main office, we have the different departments. These departments are responsible to support the branches. The branches in the branches are working three, four, five project managers, and they are working with the clients in this city. But from Cologne, they receive everyday support. The whole company is sitting on one long digital table, and it becomes 2003, I was a pioneer in remote. Remote, it was the new structure of Lingua World. And this uh, communi- way of communication allowed me to go abroad, to open new companies, to develop the company, and to be in the, in the same time the CEO of uh, Lingua World GmbH. Thanks to the communication and the technologies. I worked, I developed a new profession, I became a speaker, um, I've written my book. And uh, when in a, a lot of countries as a public speaker and lingual world went farther and farther because uh, it was possible to take the phone and to see the emails, to contact the people and to be every time um, available. And uh, now, in the time of the corona crisis, it's the same. It was not difficult to go to home offices. Within three hours, my people took the computer, went home, and they began to work further. It is easy if, you, if, you, if the construction of the company is, done, is on the, from the beginning connected to the technologies. It's easier to develop this company. I began in 1997, and uh, it was the time when the world came smaller through the internet. And in this time was uh, difficult from one side. There were a lot of difficulties 
but it was easy to go further and to develop different ideas. And in my company, I'm not involved in the daily business. I'm involved in strategic development of lingual world. And in every one department, I have very good people. The big secret of lingual world are the people. I have people working with me already 15, 14 years. It is the main point is the sustainability and the connection between me and these people. I wanted to, to give them rooms for development. And these young people, they came to me after they finished the university, but they became real manager. They very trustful. And this is what makes me happy. The people, the people who I lead and the people who are following my idea. That's great. And we'll circle back to, to that in a moment. I just want to also hear about Tenesoya and TPSL. Yeah, in my case, I think I was very, very lucky <laughs> when I joined the company in 2007, because when I arrived, I started working as a quality manager and then moved to a CEO um, uh, position after many years. But in my case, so thanks to the former CEO, uh, the company was already structured in different areas. So sales, production, technical department, IT department, human resources, so many departments. So on one hand, it is easier if you arrive to a place where people is already knowing what they are doing and should do. On the other hand, it's difficult if you want to, to do some things as you want to, the, the things to be done. So it's a double double challenge. So how do you keep people motivated and how do you try to they to to get your ideas and the strategy you have for, for the for the company? Mm-hmm. But in our case, one of the key factors for growing the company was the decision the former CEO made of open the company to the international market. Now it's it's a must. So if you are not technological and you are not open to the world so i don't think you can grow as you need not to just to be overcome with by other companies so in our case that was the the key factor to open to the international market mm-hmm. that's really interesting too because like i'm imagining like the four of you like if you traded places and had to you know be the ceo of each other's companies like it would be tricky yeah like it wouldn't be the same like you couldn't uh it would be, like you said, harder to make uh, make changes. Tanisoya, are you still engaged in the day-to-day business? Or what is your yeah. role like? Yeah, of course. I come every day to, so not now, but now I am in the office. But yes, of course. But so there are people, so they're a good team, as Nelly says. So the, the, all the people we have is a, is a great uh, team. And also the, the department of the area responsible. So they, they, in fact, they are managing the company. That's what I say. Is a I'm not running by myself the company, so it's it's a team of people, and I trust and rely on their opinions and their experiences every time I have to to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Cool. So where should we go? We have this big list of questions. Should we should we go straight back to the delegation part or okay, How let's do, do it. Do the delegation part. So Dave was talking about how like de- delegating tasks and uh, being less hands-on is a challenge for him as the company. And uh, maybe maybe we have more comments about that, how to, how to do it. 
Yeah, that's what I say that I was lucky because mm. when I joined the company, many responsibilities were already delegated into the department directors. So, and and you should, so as I said, you should let others to do what they do better than you. So I think it's difficult. Now, if you want to control all the, all the stuff that's going on in the company, but you are a human and and you in the end you don't know all the all the things that in a company is happening. So you cannot be the financial man, the the project manager, the IT guy, and the human resources um, responsible. So little by little you need to 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 find people you trust and just let them work and see the results. That's the only thing yeah. you can do. <laughs> I'm actually very interested in that because I think trust is a main factor. Huh? You have to be willing to trust people in order to take steps. What I'm interested in is uh, there are many different roles that you could select people for or try to find people for. I guess mainly to you, Peter and Nelly, you have this experience hands-on. How far do you go before deciding if someone gets the job and you give them their trust? Is that a matter of feeling or do you go as far as perform a psychological assessment before uh, uh, giving someone this responsibility. How do you go about this? You mean the permanent people, the permanent in the employees of the company? Yes. Not the freelancer. Yes, the no. employees. This is <laughs> it's a very good question. But if I tell you the truth, you will be very surprised. I don't see these people <laughs> because I'm never in the office and uh, I'm available only digital. I don't have a chance to see the people, to speak with them. It's also the secret. I told you that the secret are the people, but I'm responsible about employing people. This is my task from the beginning until now. <clears throat> and what happened when uh, we need someone, project manager, for example, <clears throat> then we use Indeed to put advertisement there. And uh, Indeed, we're using without money. I don't pay for advertisement there. This is the, <laughs> the easier way. And the people good, apply. Yeah. And I see on my phone the people, but I, I see that they, they have the same profile, every one of them. They are translators, they finish the university. One of them is the, has the, a main is specialist in technique, the other one in the legal language, etc. And then I speak with these people on the phone because actually they will speak with our customers on the phone. They don't go to the client. They are talking on the phone or they are writing emails. And after this first conversation, the person is going to this branch where I have a position and the branch leader is talking to him. This classic interview is made by the branch leader and I trust these people, this person. If this person tell me, I want to take it to my team, I say, okay. Then another person is sending him the contract and we begin to work. In the first six months, you can decide if the person is suitable or not. Only in the practice, we can see if someone is dedicated to the work, if someone is really good, engaged in what he is doing or not. And this is my simple way. I trust the people and they have to improve themselves in the first six months. <laughs> but don't, but I think 
in the new world now, the, the open and digital world, this is a normal way. I can't, and sometimes when I speak to the people, they ask me, would you come to Stuttgart to speak to me? I said, no, I'm in Cologne or I'm in South Africa. I cannot come. You have to talk to the people who are in Stuttgart. And this, this trust and this communication between me and my employees and people who are working in the branches, this is my biggest value. I'm happy to work on this way and to have time for other things and not to sit in the offices and to look uh, behind the shoulder of the people and to see if they are working good or not. On the end of the month, is everything visible? Yeah, Dave, in my opinion and from my experience, the selection process of someone to, to, to work with you is one of the most difficult things, I think. So, and the chances to fail are very, very high. <laughs> so, almost 100%. So, don't worry about that. And in my opinion, one of, one of the things you could do would be uh, if you have already people already working uh, with you that you trust, let them talk to the candidate. And sometimes it's a, a gut feeling. So, that's going to work. That's not going to work. Sometimes you don't have any other criteria to the side. And the second tip I will give you is you have to be prepared to be ready. So if you see or if you feel that that person is not the right one, then let her or him very quick. Yeah. It's not an wow. easy decision, I know, but it's the best thing you can do for you, for the company, for the person, so for... Would you say six months, like like Nelly mentioned, is a, a solid enough period? Probation period, yeah. It, yeah. I think it depends on the position. The most of the people... The most of the people, if they are not happy with the job, they are going, they, are, they quit and go because uh, um, sometimes they our translators, yes, they, our translators, they don't know what is this project management. They hope to have a translation work, but we don't translate inside of the company. And if they see that they are not a salesperson, they don't, don't like, they don't like to, to communicate to the clients, then we separate each other with the big problems. Sometimes I had so cases when I said, please excuse me, but I have to, <laughs> to quit you because this is not the real place for you. And after one nice conversation, the people understand that it is not only the job who is giving me money. This is the job where I can grow up, where I can be happy. and. Uh, in the opposite of the beginning of the conversation, by the beginning, on the end of one, uh, one um, cooperation, then I'm talking to the people. And would like every time I'm, I would like to explain them why and what is exactly the reason. And if they are not part of the team, then it's better to, to break the contract and to con- and to go further and maybe to look for the other people who are more dedicated. Just jumping I, in. I, think, I hope. Well, that's great, Nelly. I think there was two parts to Dave's comment and very interesting. I think that point of delegation, I think I'm still learning, but you know, after 26 years, I think I'm finally getting pretty good at it, but it is, <laughs> is the key. I think the trick, Dave, is to look at what you like to do and where you can add the most value to the company and keep those tasks, but maybe try to delegate the others. You know, back years ago, I used to manage projects and 
that seems like the the best part to to delegate. Uh, we have phenomenal project managers, and our production manager does a great job managing that team. So I'm thankful for that. But that's what I would suggest in terms of that delegation or where to start is look at the things that number one you don't like to do or you don't add as much value and delegate those. Like perhaps it's accounting tasks or perhaps it's HR tasks or you know whatever it might be. Um, look to delegate those first. And in terms of recruiting, I always think of, it's interesting, my background's not actually in translation. My background in languages is just because I grew up in an Italian household, loved language, but my background's in HR and human resource management and finance. So I love HR. I love team building. Uh And for me, turnover is very expensive. So we hire very slowly. And to Tenasoya's point, we do dismiss quickly. We've been fortunate though, that people kind of tend to see, doesn't look like this is work for me or I'm not fitting in. And they'll usually self-select, which is great. But if they don't, then, you know, helping them select or exit to a different career is good. We've been really fortunate. We're lined up with a couple universities. The University of Illinois has a great translation program and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And we've had interns from the translation programs at both schools. And then most of my PMs came out of either one of those programs. So that's been a really good initiative for us to find good talent. We don't tend to use the online stuff. I'm a little more selective. We try to find find the people. We'll approach the people we're trying to hire, and that's been really good. And we're pretty scientific about it, I have to say. We um, we use a couple different testing, you know, one through uh, Wonderlic. There's a system called OneScore, and you can program it for project management. And it looks for things that make people tick that are good project oh. managers or marketing managers. And that's a fairly inexpensive way to at least get sort of a bit of a profile on someone. Because interviewing is tough. I mean, we do multiple interviews yeah. and we do, I think, Tennessee or Nelly, I forget, mentioned. We'll have them sit. If it's a project manager, we'll have them sit with the project managers for an interview to see, you know, does it sound like a good fit? So it might be multiple interviews, a phone screen. And in terms of our approach, we're, you know, we were, we're always a hybrid. So it wasn't as hard to turn on the remote work, but we love our culture. I wish I could walk you around the office, but I, I'm the only one here right now. But we, you know, we love our office. We love getting together. This has been kind of hard from that perspective, but we have a very hybrid approach. So the fact of the matter is, is that my team is essentially family for me. So we hire very carefully because I, you know, I figure like you can't choose your family, but you can choose, you can choose your work family. So we choose very, very carefully and culture is super important to us. And it's really about being candid. Like that's kind of the thing that I think if, I could say the one thing that makes our employees tick is that we're not afraid to say what's on our mind. Never offensive, but always very candid. And that's worked out really well. But not everybody likes that. That's maybe some of the reasons why people self-select as well. I think sometimes people don't want to hear the truth a bit. Nice. Thank you. Also a mix of interviews, of course. So two or three yeah, two or three, depending on the on the position. And then we always want to have a face-to-face interview if possible, at, so at some point in the, in the process. And there is always a, a period, a test period. So depending also on the position, one month, two months, six months, six months for the salespeople, because you cannot uh, know. But as, as Peter said, so things that you think you cannot offer or do better than others, so delegate all that yep. stuff, little by little. So you don't have to delegate all this. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have something to do myself in the end, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. 
I doubt you'll ever have nothing to do. I think there's always something, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, but for example, in my in my case, so I'm learning every day. And so I've done masters and trainings and, and theoretical uh, courses and things like that. And I think that the practice, the everyday practice is one of the most important uh, things you can you can learn from from the people, yeah. from the work. And in my case, I shifted from a more hands-on uh, daily activity to a more thinking strategical. And so being able to, to watch and observe a company from not being in a daily, in, on, on a daily uh, task, on a daily work, yeah. more from far, not far away, but far away enough to see the big picture. And that's, that's important. So... Let's talk a little bit about specific skills. And some of these have already come up. We've talked about delegating one's responsibilities. We've talked about having tough conversations. Um, if separate like the entrepreneurial skills in sort of people skills and business skills that you need to have to be you know, a good CEO, which ones come up for you? What pops into mind? So I have to confess that two days ago, I asked the whole company to tell me how would the ideal CEO be? Because sometimes you have your idea and now so with the new generations and so there are many things that perhaps have made, have changed the idea as CEO is. So I, I got a, a list. This is the list. So basically you should be a superwoman or a, super, a superman yeah. <laughs> with many, 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 many skills. But the most important are to be reliable, approachable and to be able to to engage people so to make people trust on you and to so you you have to to be able and to want to to let people grow mm-hmm. so more than any other in my case so give a, a provide a growth did. perspective for people mm. yeah. i love that you did that and did you ask your company was there anything on there that you were like surprised to see it's mo- so it should motivate, respect, communicate with honesty, have good communication skills, to advocate of the corporate values and culture, reliable, approachable, with capacity to, to adapt to new situations, sensitive, capable of making difficult decisions, or looking after the interests of the employees, not afraid of taking risks, ambitious but caring of the people, good listeners, strategists, positive, optimistic. Good team player, innovative, curious, able to learn from the past, understanding, open to suggestions. All right, all right. I'm resigning. I'm resigning. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think I fall far short of the market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think well, the, question, the question which we have to ask here is, do you have the personality to be a manager? This is the first question. Because the CEO of the company is someone who is involved, who is active in the economic life on the first position. And after that, if you do, then you should be a visionary. You should um, be innovative. You, but most importantly, is you should be prepared to take a risk. Hmm. And this is what the people like to see. They want to see us in the front of the company and to trust us. And our skills are important. I've never imagined that I will be the CEO of a big company. I only, I only had um, this power in me. 
the power I felt, the power inside of me to become entrepreneur. And I found the lingual world on a great passion I had. And you, we know that with passion, we can move mountains. That's this a, is what I think about our job. That's a really good our point, job. Ellie. Yeah, I think Not it's that, easy that job, passion. Yes, I did everything with a big, great passion. I was every day of my life with Lingua World very happy seeing that people are able to grow, that the company is growing, that I am trusting them, that I trust myself to open the door to the new world, to do things which I've never heard. And now it's everything in balance. After the corona crisis, will be more imbalanced. <laughs> For me, I think it kind of brings me back to the point that maybe Robert asked earlier. He said, you know, how long did you sort of struggle where, you know, it was just real lean staff? And I think that's exactly it. You know, the minute you start hiring people or you start building a team, you realize that you have to provide opportunity because, you know, nobody likes to stand still. So, you know, getting that passion across to grow the company provides opportunity for the employees. I, I, I mean, I guess for me, like one of the things too is like for skill set, I think it's passion, empathy. I like the risk taking. I think that that's very true as well. But I also think it's, it's you know, sort of that, that understanding of empathy or being able to put yourself in the shoes of the customer, put yourself in the shoes of the employee, put yourself in the shoes of the subcontracted translators, you know, being able to understand, like, in other words, I wouldn't ask any of those folks to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And also to just understand that huge responsibility, like you see it from both sides. Like all too often, you know, you, if you do a bunch of jobs and you get that feeling that you're sort of like just a cog in a wheel, that's a terrible place to be. So we try to provide an environment for our employees that they always understand what we're doing. And, and if you think of it, it's so important. We're doing one of two things. You're either helping somebody create more revenue or you're helping someone connect uh, on a deeper level with employees or constituents like students or whatever the case is. So it's really those two things. You're either helping to generate more revenue or helping to create more connection. And with every job, no matter how small it is or how big it is. And you know, for us, I think that that's kind of been a big thing is always keeping that focus in mind and just trying to create a great place to work. I mean, I love coming to work. I try to make sure it's the same for our team members. Right now, they all love coming to their second bedroom, I guess. But you know, yeah. after the virus, yeah. Coming back to work, I hope. So when you bring people on, you're offering them like your your corporate vision, but then do you also give them like your vision for them? Like uh, if you're with a company for a year, two years, three years, how can you like where where can you go? Like what ladder you can climb? Or because we're small, you know, we're such a flat organization, mm -hmm. it's tough to sort of lay out a vision like that. And I'm always careful mm -hmm. in interviews because I you know I think you want to be careful with over promising and under delivering. So we always just try to say, hey, we're going to provide a fun place to work. You're going to do meaningful work. It's work that matters. And hopefully as the company grows, there's more opportunity. But it's, it's tough to, if you have a larger organization, there's certainly different departments you can jump to, different areas. We're not there yet. I hope so. We're hoping to grow through acquisition and hopefully provide you know, different cities, different opportunities. But, you know, that's the future, I hope. Yeah, to give new opportunities, you have to, so to be able to grow or to, to open to new services, to new things. So you can give people you are, you are working with these opportunities. If not, it's quite difficult. The other thing is what you can do or, or the possibilities you have. Dave, what about you? Do you see, like, 
what do you see as the most important skills for your business? Is it the same as, you know, for the other three when, when it grows or would you say it's a little bit different in the early stages? Well, broad sense, I guess it's, I guess it's the same. I very much like Peter's vision of, I guess, sharing information and, and providing a joint goal for the, for the team. It's very important to provide such a framework for people to feel at home and to also be intuitive about what to do in specific situations. I, sort of an every situation guideline for what to do next. I guess it's pretty much the same. I think the, the big advantage we still have is that we're a fairly small company, so we can move around easier. Uh, I guess the bigger you get, the harder it gets, get away from your processes and uh, your past. People tend to do what they did yesterday. So, And sometimes it's, well, take today, for instance, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Things have changed, so you want people to move along and, and provide circumstances so they can. That's actually a great company. point. How do you, as, as CEOs, how do you keep up with the change, not just in technology, I mean, in general and in technology, I suppose, how do you keep up and how do you make sure your team keeps up as well? I'm happy to jump in. Yeah, we love technology. You know, with uh, four PMs, we you know did over 4,200 projects last year. Couldn't do it unless we had um, really good systems. Our TMS is very strong. We use you know, WordB as our base, and we've built everything around it. So essentially, through the APIs, we've attached the accounting system, we've attached file management system. So it's all very streamlined. But I mean, that wasn't an easy process. It took a lot of time to get there. But we try to keep everything really light, the integration points light, because you don't know like what systems are going to come and go and what will stay. So just being super nimble with um, with the technology and being able to change because, gosh, I mean, I'm sure you can all understand. When we started 26 years ago, there was no email. Internet yeah. was sort of non-existent. The government was using it. It wasn't really used. We had a bulletin board and the FedEx uh, folks and the UPS were in our office every day because we were shipping $100, 40 megabyte SideQuest cartridges <laughs> around the world. And a different reality, peer-to-peer computing, you know, hey, can I connect to your computer, you know, via modem, and then their call waiting would go off and it would interrupt the... So, I mean, technology's changed so much just in 26 years that if we weren't able to change with it, we still wouldn't be here. And I, I think that that's a struggle I see, you know, in some of the organizations we're in. Some of the agencies either embrace it or, yet, yet, how do they say, yell at the wind or whatever, they're yelling to the wind. They're, they're not able to do it or wanting to do it. You know, MT is obviously sort of, you know, there's a next horizon. There's always something on the horizon that you have to adapt to and come up with a strategy. And it's challenging. But I think I think that's always the big thing for all of us to think about is, you know. Yeah, in some cases could be a question of mentality and the others, perhaps an economical, economic factors. So depending on, on the size and the technology you want to embrace, many, many things. But I think after the COVID, so... Technology is important, of course, but after the COVID, so will be more important. Yeah, more and more, of course. Mm-hmm. So, and we we should just think that perhaps, as Nelly said, so not working um, side by side with other people every day is not going to be that important. Although your culture, your company culture is no, I want to just to have a coffee with with you sitting on the same place or the same office, but perhaps it's not necessary to to see your your colleagues every day face-to-face. So you have Zoom, uh, Teams, GoToMeeting, wherever, so many platforms and many, many systems. Yes, I began 23 years ago, but we already had emails. But the 
for me, where the technology is a part of the business from the beginning, how I already told you. And we are happy to use every tool that can increase the productivity or precision of our employees. And let's talk about machine translation. They have become a part of everyday life of us. But we never, what, I, what is very important for me is that we never forget the human behind it all. Post-editing is not just important. It is the key to a quality machine translation and the context and everything. If we don't care about the context of the text, then we wouldn't be able to make our customers happy. And yes, I priorized the communication now by Zoom and everything. And uh, I saw in this time, since we are in the corona time, that it worked. This personal communication works just well in a video conference today as it used it to in a face-to-face conversation. That's why I'm very optimistic and I'm sure we are going the right way. Cool. So what else about technology then? Like, what are the big decisions that you think you'll have to make in the next few years? Like, what are the, the big changes or the hard decisions going? That's a great question. For me, one of the, of the most difficult decisions are, so we are always trying to improve technology and to apply new technology to new processes or to improve things. But there are so many, many, many things in the market. So one of the challenges and one of the things we are trying to address right now is the many te- uh, technologies we use sometimes to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. in, in we are now organizing and making a list of all the things we have. So and to decide, okay, what to decide what what we are going to use. So if we use three uh, three technologies for the same thing, let's just use one because yeah. it's it's money. It's a lot of money you spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I suppose WordB is is a part of that. Maybe. Oh, sorry. Oh, I said I, I suppose WordB is a part of that as well. Probably. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the thing coming up is that, you know, there's not as many, uh, I guess when the technology movement was younger, there was fewer things. Word processors, there were two, right? Word perfect or word. Well, now there's so many different things. There's so many different ways. Every client uses something different or they use the system a different way. And then you talk about all digital content, whether it's e-learning or web. And I know for us, that's been the thing is, all right, how do we connect to all of these various things? And, you know, that's been super helpful for us. WordBee has been very supportive in creating all the different connectors into the Bbox and, and WordBee platform, which has been great. But I think that'll be the challenge is continuing to stay up to date. And which ones do you choose? You know, you have one customer come to you and they say, hey, we have these, you know, survey monkey surveys we do. And you say, well, how much energy do I spend on that? Is there going to be like six customers just like him? Are there going to be 600 just like him? Or, you know, when they come to you with some, you know, brand new CMS, who's going to adapt it and who's not? WordPress still going to be king or you know, all those questions. And they're hard because, yeah. I mean, I think it's super presumptuous for a CEO of a 25, or, you know, a 26-year-old little LSP saying, oh, yeah, WordPress is definitely king. Or I mean, how do I make that decision? There's no way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think you would never one. make any, any clear decision so, because it's impossible. You have to adapt to the client's needs or whatever they want, or try to, to, to convince the client to use 
the solution you have or the solution you know, but it's not always possible. So right. so many solutions and uh, things are changing faster than ever, probably. So Crazy. You, you can be sure that you'll have to choose something new next year. Huh? <laughs> no, next month. I, next month. <laughs> I think I think one of the yeah next month exactly. <laughs> one of the challenges for us, I think, for next year is we'll how to keep our translator community connected to all of these technologies because. Um, from day to day, we, I mean, we have a, a strong group of people who have been working f- with us from day one, a lot of them. Uh, we love working with them, but they don't all love to work with every technology that we choose to work with. So mm-hmm. sometimes pretty challenging to keep them motivated and keep them attached and uh, find ways of working that are, that are good for us and good for them as well. Uh, especially in the realm of uh, machine translation, of course. I've heard many comments from our translators where they state that at one day in their career, they chose to be translators and they love the profession, but they're not so sure if they love the profession of post-editing machine translation. So there might be a big change coming up for us in either keeping these people connected or, or finding new people who still want to work with us once we make this transition. Sometimes it's a question. So in our case, we started giving training to the translators, so they are not afraid anymore about the machine translation and the post-editing and things like that. So if you explain and train them how to work, and so I think it's a good thing. Showing them we are with you, not against you. So we don't want to just to replace you with a with 100% machine-based process. It has helped us. Yes, I can see how that would work. Yeah, we've, we've done the same. No, don't get me wrong. We try to help people uh, to move along. It's just, it's a matter of, I, I see us losing some good people who basically choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in the case of the interpreting, it's the same. So with the remote interpreting <laughs> solution. So there are many, many interpreters that they don't want to just to, to adopt this new technology. And now with the, with the COVID, they are saying, okay, I'm, I don't have work. I don't have events. I don't have services because... So, so if you don't adapt, if you are not able to to remote interpreting, then I was able, and we began to offer remote interpreting immediately after the Corona crisis began. And now we have a lot of work. Earlier, I had forty percentage of my turnover only from interpreting services, but now already twenty twenty percentages are back. The people are happy to work to be on the modern way of communication since I'm really sure that we can change the yeah. old school with the new school. The old time is behind us. We have to look at the future and to change ourselves. Yeah, but I agree. As a, as a company, you can't afford not to change. Huh? Yeah. Sometimes we need these situations to push us to, to, to move forward. Yes. Yeah. This situation is, uh, for me, was very welcome. I firstly came back to Germany. <laughs> I, I, I saw my home. I didn't see my home for a long time. Normally, I was 300 days in the road. And now I learned everything here. And when I came back to my company, now I'm more involved, not such in the daily business, but I'm in a contact with my people, and uh, in this situation, you can't delegate only. You have to be close to your customers, to your team, and everything is for me. Oh, is is positive, and it's a movement, movement ahead. I don't miss the old time. I like to to to. We organize already 
Zoom simultaneous conferences, it works. Of course, I had to buy stronger internet connection <laughs> because uh, putting a lot of people talking, you need a strong internet. But it happened also, and I'm not afraid. What comes, we will take it as a challenge and uh, we'll do it. But Nelly, because it's your personality, so you are that in that sport. Yeah, that's <laughs> Eastern Europe is sometimes uh, advanced. <laughs> well, there's definitely a silver lining. I mean, I think that, and maybe my viewpoint's a little bit different because it's a bit hellish here in the States right now, but there's a silver lining. I mean, but we have to think of, you know, the impact on the global economy. You know, I, I do worry about that. Again, that's something that's completely out of our control. But yeah, we have to do the, the best we can to be nimble with whether it's our services or what we're providing and how we're providing it. But I'm struck by the incredible loss of life. But I do think, you know, I'm hearing this from all of our colleagues in ALCUS. We're having these little meetings and everybody's talking about and, and also in my peer, peer business group spending more time with family, cooking, doing projects at home that you haven't been able to look at. Like, you know, Nelly said, not being around, busy with meetings, whatever it is. You know, that's definitely the silver lining. But um, yeah, it is somewhat sobering, I guess, in terms of the loss of life. I hope we can get through this. And just big decisions, you know, uh, I have a son who just graduated high school. It's like, will they go to college in the fall? Like, what are the things that are going to happen? And we still haven't brought our employees back. And I'm not sure when we will from remote work. And it's not affecting us from a production viewpoint or, you know, we're, we're very efficient. So why take the risk? I guess the cleaning protocols are, in, are pretty crazy, but it's a crazy world we're in right now. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. In our case, we are still uh, working remotely. So it's completely wow. voluntary to come to the offices. So we clean and sanitize all the premises. But if so, people have children at home and they don't have school. So sometimes you're in a meeting and the cat comes. And the screen, the grandmom, the grandmom. So, so I My think, people wanted to go back to the offices. They yeah, wanted I, to go back. They asked I think, me, please, let hmm. me go to, let me escape from all tasks at home. <laughs> it was not easy for a young mother staying with the child and working as a project manager serving customers. But now we are two days. The people are two days in the office and in the offices and uh, three days at home. Mm. But they want to be. Case, I think in any case, this COVID situation has helped us to show our human, human or more human part. So mm. CEOs are not only thinking on the business and, and figures and revenues. So I personally had to take some decisions to let people so be more flexible, be understand many situations you have with children, with all people at home. So with many, many different situations we have to you have to face. That's good, in my opinion. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so Peter, you mentioned uh, that you have like a peer business network. And we that, that's actually one of the things we wanted to ask. So like most of the time people are probably looking to more of you for help, right? But where do you go for help? Like, do you have mentors? Do you have uh, peer networks? Like, where do you go to get better and improve yourself and, and learn things and for support? Yeah, that definitely. Yeah. I think not stopping the learning experience is really important. I just finished a writing class that I took through Seth Godin and the Akimbo workshop. And that was fun. It's about storytelling. And I'm always still trying to learn. But in terms of 
I do have a business coach. He's my mentor. And he's part of my uh, relationship with Vistage, which is a global organization that puts CEOs of different types of companies together. And they become sort of your informal board of advisors, which is great. So um, there's a lot of experience in the room and they're in other industries, which is nice. So I get feedback on acquisitions or legislation or pay practices. So it's nice to have them. My management team is really important. And then the team itself, we have monthly staff meetings where things get, you know, you know, very candid, uh, a lot of good feedback. So I rely very heavily on those things. And, and Elkis is, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned that, but Elkis is great. We have regional meetings and they're really well attended. Love my uh, regional colleagues in Elkis, which is nice. And we're talking more specific stuff relative to translation. But I feel well supported with all those things because it is a lonely job. Like there are some things that you just can't talk to your employees about, you know, whether it's some big policy that affects everyone or, you know, you just need that like sort of sometimes you're stuck in the mud. You're just thinking of it from, you know, a very singular viewpoint and then getting that 13 other opinions is really valuable. I really hear what you're saying, Peter. For me, it's I have a peer peer network on a local level, nine other CEOs of different size companies, different type companies. And I agree, it can be a very lonely job. It's also one of the changes. I guess if you know, if smaller you are, the shorter the connection is with the people around you. And at some point, the distance increases. It has to, I guess. You, have to, yeah. you sometimes have to take difficult decisions and it's hard to, well, it's hard to share everything. It's impossible to share everything with uh, the people that will be affected by your decisions. And it's great to be able to discuss these things with uh, people who are in a similar situation and that often have been in the same situation before. They can share real experience. So I really appreciate that. I'm calling you guys from now on, actually. So. You can. <laughs> Maybe no problem, this is man. your new peer, peer, peer group. Dave, Nelly, and Tennessee on speed dial now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just leave this channel open, Robert. <laughs> Networking is great, but unfortunately, I don't have uh, contacts with people from the translation industry. And that's why I enjoy talking to you now. And I would suggest that we will stay in contact. We can yeah. write emails and call video conferences and anything. But I am in a lot of economic organizations and I love to exchange my experience because I see my job as an economic job. I'm a CEO and I don't need to be a translator. I worked as an interpreter, but this is a lot of years ago. And that's why I'm going to different events, meeting people, share my experience and what else. Uh, when I uh, began to structure Lingua World, I had a very nice tool. This was the soccer field. I compared the soccer field with um, the company which I founded, and it was my template. I decided to understand the, the soccer, the, to put the, the soccer rules in my company and divided the people and strikers and the goalkeeper and defenders. And then in the, in the soccer field, I asked myself, uh, who are my fans? And uh, I discovered the fans. They are our clients. The clients? which I always wanted to make happy. <laughs> this is one of my tools in the offline time. All right. Nice. Well, unfortunately, we are running out of time, but we do have a question from our listeners. So would you still encourage young professionals to start a translation service company 
seen the number of competitors and the pressure on prices. What's your take? No. <laughs> we need this young generation. People go and start and yeah. do, do whatever you you want oh. to do. And if you put passion and and ideas, and you are quite clever, and so I encourage to to start the business you want to start. So. I agree. But if you start, if you start today, you'll have a head start on uh, all of us. That's not- yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think like when I first started 26 years ago, the cost of entry was really low because there wasn't a lot of systems out there. Fortunately, a desk and a computer. Then, of course, you know, TMS expenses were like through the roof, and to get a T1 connection, it cost a small fortune. So there was this point where it's like, wow, there's a huge barrier to entry, and I think that's come down again because now you can fire up a really good accounting system for very inexpensively. TMS technology is approachable. High-speed uh, internet connections are cheap. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, if people are excited about it, I would encourage them. There's plenty of room out here. Translation's only growing. And I think that's, for me, like one of the big things. Like I was kind of a big MT naysayer originally. Like, ah, there's no place for this. You know, this is about a decade ago. But now the way I see it is MT just opens up the market for more translation. Because eventually people get a taste of it and they realize that high risk, high value things maybe need a little bit heavier yep. touch. Sort of just becomes a level of service. But I, because I think that's what everybody wants us to say is that, oh no, MT is gonna gonna bury translators. There'll be no translators. And I think it's like the furthest thing from the truth. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hop in. As, well, I agree. As long as long as you're willing to adapt, you have to adapt. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really adapt or die if you're if you run a business. So, yeah, exactly. So whatever business you run. <laughs> yeah, that's true for every business. I, I agree. Yeah. But if you'd start today and maybe focus there, you'll really have a head start. You can just start from a, a clean slate, draw up the plan and execute from there. It's a lot easier than remodeling an existing business. I'd say take the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. All right. Mm-hmm. I well, think we should probably wrap this up. Robert, did you want to jump in? Part of me wants to ask one more question, but I think we have to wrap it up. <laughs> you're I you think are we do. all CEOs and you are very busy. So like, <laughs> thank um, you for yeah. fighting. Honored to be here. It was a fun, fun panel. Thank you for having us. It was thank great you. to have you all on. It was a great discussion and also great that you're all in different, you know, different stages with your companies and giving each other advice and giving our listeners advice. So thanks again for joining us today. It was great talking to you all. And Tennessee, you. maybe you can share that big list thank with all you. of us. Bye-bye. For sure. <laughs> for sure, okay. for sure. Great. So, shall I send the list to, to you, Robert? Or to <laughs> yeah. So, in fact, I asked three questions. So, I will send these three questions I asked to all the team, and the answers I, I got. Please do. We can do the same experiment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's a great idea. Have so, a, yeah. Okay. Day, morning, night, wherever you are. And we'll talk again soon. Okay. For sure. Keep in contact. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks, all of you. Bye. 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 Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, yes. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Wordbee. To learn more about our translation management system, check out our website at wordbee.com and be sure to subscribe to the podcast for release notifications. Until next time. <laughs>